All right, we're doing NBA previews here on the Sports Loss Podcast. NBA season's coming up. Teams have had their media days, and probably by the time you hear this, training camp will be done. Preseason games already in full swing. Quickly, before we get to the previews, let's recap an unprecedented, probably never to be replicated, 2019 NBA offseason, which started right after this. There's a new NBA champion, and it's a team from Toronto, Canada. We the North are now we the champions, the Raptors, the 2019 NBA champs. Less than two days after the NBA season ended with the Raptors winning it all, Anthony Davis became a Laker. The former Pelicans star was traded to Los Angeles for a package that included Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, three draft picks, and two draft swaps. That was a hell of a haul for the Pelicans, who were quick to move on from Davis to another star forward. With the first pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Zion Williamson from Duke University. Losing Anthony Davis stung a little less with the acquisitions of once-in-a-generation prospect Zion Williamson out of Duke. In Williamson, the Pelicans have a cornerstone for this new future after Anthony Davis along with fellow rookie Jackson Hayes, veteran guard Drew Holiday, and newcomers Ball, Ingram, and Hart. Other notable teams of the draft were the Memphis Grizzlies, who drafted Murray State guard Jamarantz, who came into the league with huge hype, and paired him up with young forward Jaron Jackson Jr., who played excellent ball for Memphis in his first year before suffering an injury and going down for the rest of the year. Another notable team was the New York Knicks, who had the third pick and selected Duke guard R.J. Barrett, native of Canada, has been stellar for Team Canada's under-19 squad before going to college and definitely shows some promise heading into the 2020 NBA season. If if y'all didn't quite get it, let me say it again, I'm here to stay. The Oklahoma City Thunder, meanwhile, parted ways with superstars Paul George and Russell Westbrook marking the end of an era filled with consistent playoff success in Oklahoma City. George was traded to the LA Clippers for sophomore guard Shea Gilgis-Alexander, veteran guard Danilo Gallinari, and a whopping five future first-round picks. Westbrook, meanwhile, was traded to the Houston Rockets for star floor general Chris Paul, two first-round picks and two pick swaps. So you see right there OKC getting a huge haul, thinking about the future, moving on from... The wonderful era that was Kevin Durant, James Harden, and the last man standing, Russell Westbrook. Is this the dagger? Game series! Toronto is one! The Clippers were not done there, though. Right as these negotiations went down, L.A. was also in talks with reigning finals MVP Kawhi Leonard. Ultimately, they got both, uniting two SoCal natives in George and Leonard, smack dab in the City of Angels. Leonard signed a three-year, $103 million contract with an opt-out after 2021. Having kept their core from last year, the addition of George and Leonard places the Clippers squarely atop most Western Conference projections. Ibaka trying to stay with Durant, knocks it away, and Durant's limping. Durant goes down, holding his leg. Ibaka goes up, and is fouled down the other end. And Durant grabbing that right leg. Meanwhile, on the opposite coast, the Brooklyn Nets lured both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to their organization, now a legitimate contender in the wide-open Eastern Conference, once Durant gets back on the court from a devastating Achilles injury he suffered during the NBA Finals. Irving was signed outright from the Boston Celtics, leading the way for former Charlotte Hornets guard Kemba Walker to sign there. A few days later, Terry Rozier, a former Celtic himself, signed with the Hornets to, I guess, replace Kemba Walker, but good luck with that. Durant, meanwhile, got to Brooklyn via a sign-and-trade with his now-former team, the Warriors, sending back D'Angelo Russell. Look, there is no time for me to recap the whole entire offseason. It was crazy. I haven't even got to the Utah Jazz, who traded for Mike Conley for the NBA equivalent of chump change and signed forward Boyan Bogdanovich. I haven't even mentioned the Miami Heat's four-team trade with the 76ers, Clippers, and Trailblazers for Jimmy 
Butler. I mean, the Bucks coming out of that Eastern Conference loss also lost Malcolm Brogdon in free agency to the Pacers. Damian Lillard signed a freaking Supermax, which, by the way, yikes. The Knicks signed all of the power forwards, and I mean all of the power forwards. The Suns traded TJ Warrens for some reason and decided, you know, let's just sign Ricky Rubio. I mean, look, this. I'm sorry. It's way too much. I won't waste your time. I value your time, dear listener. Here is my big NBA preview. Five to shoot. Augustine. Three to shoot. He'll take. You bet. DJ Augustine. A cold-blooded tray. Looking at the Eastern Conference first, it's clear it is a two-team race to the top, and then it's everyone else. You've got the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo fresh off an MVP season, looking to repeat all that success. And then you got the 76ers, Philly. They're looking for a finals berth as well. Last year, they traded for Jimmy Butler, who ultimately decided to sign elsewhere, who at least they were able to get something in return for him in Josh Richardson. They also traded for Tobias Harris last year from the Clippers. I mean, it's clear that the 76ers want to win. They have their core of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And it's tough, really, to predict. You see these two teams, Philly signed Al Horford to pair up with Embiid on the front court, and you see Milwaukee, while having lost Brogdon, having kept Brooke Lopez, having kept Chris Middleton, looking to show Antetokounmpo that his home is in Milwaukee for the long term. Obviously, his contract is up after this year, which really begs the question, is this really the home Giannis should settle in for the next five years of his life? You've got a team who chose, basically, Eric Bledsoe over Malcolm Brogdon. Obviously, they both have their own injury concerns, but when you look at the lack of production from the part of Bledsoe the past couple of years in the playoffs, obviously, the series against Boston two years ago comes comes to mind. And last year against against the Raptors, not really good against the Celtics again this year not pretty subpar and when you see the contract they gave him pretty equal to what the Pacers gave Brogdon and you just wonder did they make the right decision should they have just waited for the summertime to sign him there's all these questions with this team and with the Sixers too I mean you you have those free agent acquisitions in Al Horford and in Josh Richardson via trade but you also have a big free agent loss in J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick was, without a doubt, the team's primary source of outside shooting last year, the last couple of years, which have helped them get pretty far in the playoffs. And you look around in this roster, and Ben Simmons with his highly publicized shooting woes, Joel Embiid, which you don't really want in an outside shooting position. You want him down on the block. Al Horford is a decent shooter, but you don't want him shooting high volumes out there. Josh Richardson, a fair three-point shooter, but again, he's never been in a J.J. Redick-type role. It's tough to see where the outside shooting is coming from with this team, and I know that they can just pound the ball inside all year, and I'm more than sure that that'll work in the regular season, but once you get to the playoffs, once you get to the tougher opponents that can game plan for you in a seven-game series, honestly, anything goes. If they pair up with a team like the Magic, which I'm going to get to, excellent defensive team under Steve Clifford, the Miami Heat, stellar defense as always, with Jimmy Butler getting in the mix. You see these two teams, and they have definite flaws. Now, no team is perfect. Even the dynastic warriors of years past had major holes in their bench, and their bigs. They always had a rotating cast of bigs. So I'm not saying there's a perfect team out there, but you definitely see concerns with these two teams that are most likely going to be representing the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. Ultimately, though, I do see both the Bucks and the Sixers atop the Eastern Conference, even with all these flaws that I talked about. You just don't see what team can really dethrone them even though I don't like particularly the rosters that much, there is no real match for them in this Eastern Conference that is not particularly as weak as years past, but still no match for the Western Conference. If you look at most projections, they have the Celtics at number three, Pacers at four, and I don't see it with either of those teams. Celtics are plugging in Kemba Walker in the place of Kyrie Irving, Obviously, some highly noted problems 
in the locker room last year. And the hope there is that you plug in Kemba Walker to this team and he'll fit right in. And he'll be Kyrie Irving light without the off-court situations. But if you look at that Celtics team last year, yes, Kyrie Irving was a distraction, but he wasn't the whole problem. It was a lack of ball movement, a lack of penetration from Jason Tatum, a lack of desire to play ball from Jalen Brown. You can attribute some things to Irving, but you can't fault Irving for messing up the entire Celtics season. Though I will acknowledge the absolute blunder that is that Bucks series in the second round last year. Absolutely horrible from Kyrie Irving. Definitely the Celtics needed a leader. The Celtics needed someone better than what they got in Irving. Danny Ainge and the rest of the front office there in Boston, I'm sure, has high hopes for this season. Ultimately, though, I just don't see them being the third team. The Indiana Pacers are going to be without Victor Oladipo for a good amount of time. They were obviously without him last year due to that lower leg injury. And we'll be facing similar problems without him and now without Boyan Bogdanovich, who left for the Jazz. You'd think that Miles Turner and Domantas Savonis can hold it down while Victor Oladipo is out, but you just don't see a lot of options in their guard play. It's it's very thin, that backcourt. I just don't see how they can do much of anything. They, there's no creator in the offense. They obviously traded for TJ Warren, signed Jeremy Lamb, signed TJ McConnell from the Sixers. They did get Malcolm Brogdon, Justin Holiday, But even with Brogdon on the team, Brogdon's more of a secondary ball handler. He works best off the ball. He can't fully run your team. And what I mean by that is you don't want Malcolm Brogdon carrying your whole offense. You need that star scorer. And that's what's lacking here with the Pacers. Without Victor Oladipo, there's no primary scorer that can take the heavy burden of the offense. And even when he comes back, he's going to be recovering. That leg injury was something serious. And you worry about his injury concerns. He's had a couple of pretty big injuries in his career. And you just wonder, is he going to hold up? So ultimately, that Pacers team, quite nice. It has pretty good pieces around Turner, around Sabonis, around Oladipo. But really, I don't even see them cracking the top five in the conference. You got two Florida teams in the Heat and the Magic. Those teams I am high on. Um, With the Magic, it's just a matter of running it back with that team that, in the second half of the season, finished with the highest defensive rating in the league. They re-signed Nikola Vucevic this past summer, four years, $100 They picked up the team option of Markel Fodes, who's still a question mark, on Jonathan Isaac, who many people think is going to have a jump this year. And you just look up and down the roster, and they proved last year that they don't need A-list guard play to get their offense rolling. And once you get past that fact, they don't have a lot of creation, but they definitely have great pieces not even taking into account that stellar defense. You got Mo Bamba returning Aaron Gordon, steadily improving. This is a year where he could definitely take a big jump, carry a heavier load in the offense. Overall, I really like this Magic team. And as for the Heat, obviously their acquisition of Jimmy Butler from Philadelphia this past summer. Also in that trade, Myers Leonard coming from Portland. They drafted Tyler Hero out of Kentucky, an awesome shooter, definitely has Heat fandom excited for this upcoming season. They have trade pieces in Goran Dragic and his expiring contract. James Johnson, always a good, steady, quality power forward who tends to have like that one good shooting year and defense year every once in a while. And I feel like it's due. I feel like he's had a couple of less than average James Johnson years. And I feel like he is definitely due for a comeback. The Heat traded away Hassan Whiteside, who after that first breakout season in 2015 was never really what the Heat needed. Eric Spolstra often decided to roll with Bam Adebayo, the young center out of Kentucky also, who I think has a great chance of winning most improved player this year. I mean, if you look at the landscape of the league, it's him, De'Aaron Fox, probably great defensively. And when you take that into account, Hassan Whiteside was never part of the Heat's long-term plans. There was definitely a sense of buyer's remorse, probably almost immediately after they signed to his ginormous contract back in the cap spike of 2016. And just overall, they have some 
flexibility here. Their cap sheet will definitely be looking better once the summer rolls around, but knowing Pat Riley, he probably won't sit idly by, especially when the 2020 free agent class looks pretty lackluster. It's not hard to see the Heat trading for a big-name player in Bradley Beal if the Wizards decide to move on from him in Chris Paul from Oklahoma City. Overall, just high upside for the Heat. And right now, I have them in that second tier of the Eastern Conference from the 3 to the 5 range, along with the Magic. And that third team, and that's second tier, I have the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, the Brooklyn Nets this summer signed Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Will be a tough year having to play without Kevin Durant out with an Achilles injury for presumably the whole year. And, you know, you hate to see it, really. A player of that caliber who was having probably the best playoffs of his career. You definitely see the roadmap for Brooklyn being in that 3-4-5 range in the East. Kyrie Irving leading the way. In that third tier of the playoff teams, I have the Pacers, like I talked about. The Celtics, which is probably a hot take. But there's just a lot of questions with that Celtics team. And the Toronto Raptors defending champions. Not projected to be higher up, obviously, with the departure of their finals MVP, Kawhi Leonard, after their magical season last year. It is tough to sort of position them. They obviously still have the winning core, just sans Leonard. There is a roadmap for them to get to the second round, potentially. But realistically, looking at their cap sheet, how Kyle Lowry and Marcus all both come off the books. It's really hard for me to see Masai Ujiri, the GM there, not blowing it up finally after however many years of being there and having inherited a team which he did not create and meant to blow up, but ultimately got him a championship. So these are my sort of predictions for the East. I won't say specific numbers. I would just put them in range. So I have... The Bucks and the Sixers at the 1-2 spots, I think, while flawed, they're not as flawed as the rest of the conference. They're definitely top-heavy. Bucks with Giannis, Sixers with Embiid and Simmons. And with those dominant players, you just don't see those teams falling below the 1-2 and two spots. At the second tier, from 3-5, to five, I have the Brooklyn Nets, the Miami Heat, and the Orlando Magic. Like I said, Brooklyn has pretty high upside even without Kevin Durant this year. And the Heat and the Magic are just excellent defenses who will probably hold that up for the entire year. And in a conference with not-so-stellar offenses other than the Bucks and the Sixers, you can easily see them getting anywhere from 48 to 45 wins. And in that third tier for playoff spots, I have the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Pacers. I do not have... The Pistons making the playoffs, a notable omission from my rankings. They did acquire Derrick Gross this summer, but the construction of the team right now is such that it is incredibly tough for me to see them getting into the playoff spot. That final playoff spot, which will probably be what they will be contending for, is that final eighth spot in the conference. And they made no real upgrades in any other positions, they're locked with Blake Griffin at the four and Andre Drummond at the five. They still have Reggie Jackson. Overall, it's just a weird team. Lack of true shooting. Second year for Dwayne Casey there. It's it's just a weird team. Not a fun team to watch. They are a perfect example of mediocrity in the NBA. Locked into this core that hasn't gotten them anywhere except the eighth seed. Their most notable moments are a sweep against the Cavs a couple years back when LeBron was still on the team. And they called it a competitive sweep. And while it was a quite interesting and entertaining series, it was still a sweep. This team, it's its just sad. The team is going nowhere, really. And then in the bottom half of the conference, it's just, it's just a mess. Got the Hawks and their young core, obviously, will most likely improve from last year. Trey Young... A good young prospect. They will definitely be one of those teams that you just watch on League Pass 
at best. You got the Bulls. They drafted Kobe White. Still have Wendell Carter, who obviously had a bunch of injuries. Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen. I mean, a good core of young players. Just very dysfunctional organization with guard packs at the front office and Jim Boylan, the head coach. The craziness that ensued last year. Too unstable, in my opinion, to get far. Washington Wizards are an absolute mess. If it wasn't for Bradley Beal, I would pencil them in as a bottom three team in the league. Maybe not for long. His free agency is coming up, and as we've seen in years past, players are more likely to start asking for trades if they're not happy with the current situation of the team. Tommy Shepard, GM of the Wizards, is going to have a tough time deciding what to do with Beal. But ultimately, if you just look at years past... It's very easy to see Bradley Beal demanding a trade, and the Wizards would just go belly up, fall into the tank. Rounding out the Eastern Conference, you got the mess that are the New York Knicks, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Charlotte Hornets. All three teams, I can just put them in one category of just the worst of the worst. These will probably be among the worst teams in the entire league. Knicks, it's rough. They had their hopes set on signing Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, anybody this summer and they just ended up with guys like Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, all fine players but if you notice all play the same position. They also signed Tosh Gibson. They already have Mitchell Robinson there. They have an overabundance of power forwards. This this team just makes no sense. Ideally RJ Barrett is a two or a three sort of playing that point forward role. There's just nothing for him to work with. It'll be very tough for him. Cleveland Cavaliers draft Darius Garland, already drafted Colin Sexton, obviously brought in John Beeline, former coach of Michigan. Another really just team that is really heading nowhere. There's no clear direction for this team. This is a pretty terrible team. They're obviously going to be looking to trade Kevin Love and his brick contract. Try to see if they get anything for him, any draft assets, anything anything and then the Charlotte Hornets (sighs) anybody that has not read the Charlotte Observer piece with GM Mitch Kupchak and coach James Borrego they uh, it's just it's a disaster I mean the level of incompetence knows no bounds you have a GM Straight up saying, and saying it on the record, by the way, this was not off the record and we're just assuming it was him. Mitch Kupchak said on the record that they did not expect and were blindsided by Kemba Walker making All-NBA, which led him to be eligible for the Supermax, which led the Hornets to not extend him an offer. We don't have to get into the incompetence of Mitch Mitch Kupchak. It's been talked about numerous times from his time with the Lakers and now his unwillingness to break tampering rules and now saying that he didn't expect his star to make All-NBA, which was more than expected from experts around the league, for him to say that Kemba Walker making All-NBA was a shock, it's just either, I don't know what's worse, if it actually blindsided him and just how oblivious you have to be to the whole situation or that he didn't actually believe it but still had the audacity to say that on the record. It's just... I I don't want to talk about the Hornets anymore, and probably this will be the last time we talk about the Hornets. On this podcast this year, the Hornets will be a disaster. It's too bad they're the closest NBA team from Western because I will definitely not be attending any games. You just feel for the Hornets fans. It's... It's back to square one. It's back to square zero. And I would bet good money that they were going to be the worst team in the league. Horton pumps again to the sideline. Bat it up. Oh, God! Stokely down the sideline! Can they catch him? Stokely! Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! All right, once again here with Kenny Good and William Jones for Three Point Stance. Guys, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me again. I'm glad yes, to be back. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right, let's get through last week's rundown. Give me the three points. 
first point is going to be the biggest shocks and letdowns from last week. Then next, we're going to talk about should the Lions be taken seriously. And then lastly, we're going to do should the Cowboys or the Packers be more worried. So let's go ahead and start with the biggest shocks of last week. Who's your biggest shock, Will? Uh, the biggest shock to me is definitely the Ravens. Um, just coming off the Chiefs and the performance they had against the Chiefs. Um, not a win, but still it was a great performance for them. But uh, coming to the Browns, they just basically got in there and didn't even look like the same team. Um, you know, if you get, look at the game stats, Mark Ingram only had 71 yards. You know, that's for so far this season, that's not really, you know, him. And then, you know, if you're looking at uh, the completion, Lamar Jackson was great, 247 yards with three touchdowns, but you do have to throw in those two interceptions. And then not to mention that final score of 40 to 25. So when you really look at it, uh, biggest letdown to me this week was definitely the Ravens. So definitely my biggest letdown, I would say, not just from last week, but from this first quarter of the season, I would definitely say the Falcons have been. You know, they mm-hmm. had high expectations. Last season they were riddled with injuries with Keanu Neal, Devontae Freeman. And now they've lost Keanu, Keanu Neal again to an ACL. Right. ACL or Achilles injury, I'm not Achilles. completely sure. It's Achilles. And now playing a Titans team that – isn't the best. Of course, they've been on. They've had a lot of difficulty with quarterbacks, especially last season, and expectations for them weren't high in a competitive division with the Texans, the Colts, the Jaguars. It, there wasn't much to be expected of them. And then with the Falcons, expectations expectations are high. You know, with Matt Ryan, you have Julio Jones, Devontae Freeman, Calvin Ridley. You have a stellar receiving core. O-line isn't bad. Defense, definitely good with Desmond Trufant. Keanu Neal's down, but still Deion Jones at linebacker. Mm-hmm. And now to look at them as one in three, it's not what you expected from the Falcons. It's not this Falcons team that went to the Super Bowl three years ago. While, they're, while that was a disappointing loss, it's still – this hasn't been the Falcons team we haven't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. And right now they're at the bottom of the NFC South, a one in three – the Panthers and Buccaneers at two and two, and the Saints at three and one. It's going to be an uphill battle from them if this kind of play continues to keep going. Like, Especially seeing how like everybody else, and that that's probably the most one of the most competitive after the NFC North. That's probably one of the most competitive uh, divisions in the NFC. So yeah, it's definitely going to be it's going to be tough for the Falcons, especially when you have the Panthers getting along well with their. Their uh, new young quarterback Kyle Allen. Yeah, and then the Buccaneers, who I have now as my biggest shock mm-hmm. for this week, beating Mike the Evans Rams with Mike Evans, Chris, Chris Godwin, Godwin, Jameis Winston looks better. Yeah, Jameis Winston, he might be a sleeper for MVP if he keeps uh, playing how he's playing. If he def- if he tries to compete at a stellar level, I think I wouldn't I wouldn't say MVP. But I definitely think he can do some great things this season. Playoff contention for the team. Yeah. But definitely for my biggest shock, I have the Buccaneers. They beat the Los Angeles Rams 55-40. to And don't let the score fool you. I would say in the, the first quarter, they were up 21 to nothing. I definitely didn't have the, have the Rams losing this game. I thought they were. I could have easily seen the score, the score reversed. And then just looking at it, too, you know, like the – Rams, it's not like they had an awful game. Cooper Cup had 121 yards and a touchdown. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And then didn't Jared Goff throw for over 500 yards? Yeah. So, I mean, when you beat the Rams playing at that level, especially with their defense looking how it is, probably one of the the toughest, if not probably second behind the Bears in their secondary, um, yeah, that was definitely a shocking win to me. And definitely, when you look at the running game, I think was the biggest problem for the Rams in that game. They ran the ball a total of 11 times that mm-hmm. game, compared to throwing the ball 68 times. That's a very unbalanced. When we look at their running stats, five carries, 16 yards, and two touchdowns. With Malcolm Brown, five carries, 14 yards, no touchdowns, and then a rush from Cooper Cup. This is an unbalanced Rams team on offense that definitely needs to be fixed. And I think with... Jared Goff, new $100 million quarterback, him going 45 for 68, I mean, yeah, that looks good on paper, but think about how he feels with his arm. Could be tired. He threw three interceptions this game, I think all of which came in the first half. Mm -hmm. And now we have to look at this Rams team where they were close to coming back this game, but 
can they play from behind? It was 40 to 48 on the final drive. Jared Goff takes a sack and fumbles the ball. Like these are the kind of mistakes that you can't have, especially when you're coming off of a Super Bowl appearance. Of course, there's talks of the Super Bowl hangover and things like that, but you have to step up now. You're the Rams organization clearly looks at you as the face of the franchise. You're the man now. So now you have to act like the man. You have to act like you are the NFC champions. You got to act like you're worth that money they're paying you. Exactly. And then I know I didn't talk about it, but my biggest shock is I know Buffalo didn't win, but they went in with New England and hung in there 16-10, to 10, so you got to throw them in there. You know They were just 3-0, and and then they almost messed around and beat the Patriots. So that's my definitely my biggest shock of this season or of this week. Now let's move on to a different game that we had last week with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Detroit Lions. A close game for sure, 34-30. to The Chiefs winning on the final drive with a two-yard run from, or excuse me, a one-yard run from D. Williams. Definitely, this wasn't a game that I expected to be close. I didn't think, I didn't have the Lions winning this game, but mm-hmm. definitely when looking at it and watching the game, it looked like the Lions could have won this. It didn't seem like... There's definitely an underdog feel. I, I got an underdog feel when watching the Lions play mm-hmm. last week. When looking at the stats, Patrick Mahomes, 24 for 42, 315 yards, no touchdowns, but no interceptions. Definitely, yardage-wise, that's classic Mahomes, 315 yards. Mm-hmm. It's a shocker to see them put this many points up with no touchdowns. But, of course, they had great help from their running game. I think they just got down to the goal line and didn't want to overcomplicate things mm-hmm. and scored. LaShawn McCoy, 11 carries, 56 yards, one touchdown. Darrell Williams, eight carries, 13 yards, two touchdowns. I don't think this was a game they needed to rely heavily on Mah- Well, I wouldn't say not rely heavily on Mahomes. That's their franchise player, but... Definitely their defense helped them out. I believe it was Chris Breeland who had a 100-yard fumble return. Mm -hmm. Definitely a great game for the Chiefs and a great win as well. Uh, To say that the Lions should be taken seriously is something not everyone would say, especially this early in the season. Because when you look at their division, they have the Bears, of course the Lions, the Packers, Packers. and the Vikings. This is definitely, right now in the NFL, the toughest division. I'd definitely say the most competitive with the Bears having the defense the way they are, they definitely have a setback now mm-hmm. with Mitchell Trubisky being out, and definitely they don't know when he's going to return. So Chase Daniel will have to take over for them. And now with, of course, their defense being who it is, we have the Vikings who are right Who's... now in some turmoil between Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen. Yeah, and if you look at the Vikings too, like the Bears are definitely defensive minded but if you look at the Vikings they got Xavier Rhodes at uh, DB you got Harrison Smith at safety you got Linville Joseph at uh on the D-line and then you take it over to their offense and you got Stefan Diggs Kyle Rudolph and uh Adam Thielen so definitely Dalvin Cook yeah Dalvin Cook too who's looking like he might be the best running back in the league with how all the other running backs are acting so far this year so there's definitely a huge competitive factor when you're looking at the Lions and looking at their division if you're looking at it more generally but I think it's kind of I need to see more from the Lions I'm not saying that we shouldn't take them seriously they competed with a stacked Chiefs team with some injuries but definitely still a good team it's just that we need to see more we need to see them against a divisional opponent I don't think they've played anyone in their division yet Mm-hmm. So I definitely need to see how they stack up against people like the Packers or the Vikings or the Bears. They need to see and definitely some more NFC threats. We can't even – they're not – the Lions aren't a Super Bowl contender, and I'm not saying they're going to win their division, but there's a chance they slip wild into the card. wild card, especially with the NFC itself being so competitive. Mm-hmm. They need to win these games. They're 2-1-1 one, one right now. It's weird to see them tie with the Cardinals, but also almost beat the Chiefs. So now we're in this mutual state where it's, are you, are you, are who you think you are? So I would say, I wouldn't say, should we take them seriously? It's just that I need to see more. So going on to the next topic, um, Moving on to teams who should be more concerned, I definitely think uh, two teams in particular are looked at to me, um, which are the Cowboys or the Packers, who should be more concerned. 
Um, to me, in my opinion, although I am a Dallas fan, I'm going to keep it very unbiased here. I do believe that the Packers should be more concerned. And why I say that is if you look, they did play the Eagles, but the Eagles put up 34 points against them. And the Packers are supposed to have this uh, amazing defense that's coming on that they haven't really relied on so far yet this year. So looking at that, them putting up 34, the Eagles putting up 34 against the Packers. And then um, looking at the stats, Carson Wentz only threw for 160 yards. But, you know, you let Jordan Howard, who hasn't had the best of seasons for 87 yards and two touchdowns. So, But then if you do go to the Cowboys game, the reason I say the Cowboys um, should not be as worried, uh, Dak Prescott did what he does. He still um, is – uh, perfect in the third quarter. He threw for 223 yards. He did have an interception and he didn't throw for a touchdown. Um, but also, you got to look at it as the Saints are still a stacked team. While they are without Drew Brees, they do still have Alvin Kamara at running back and Michael Thomas at receiver. Their defensive secondary is amazing. And then looking at it in that game, they only allowed uh, like 45, not even 50 total rushing yards. So if you do look at it, the Saints played a great game. Um, so definitely I think the Packers here have something to be more worried about than the Cowboys because, to me, the Cowboys-Saints game was a little more balanced, whereas it seems the Packers was just kind of hectic and all over the place. When you look at the team the Cowboys played, the Saints were able to stop the run game and force Dak to throw, which when I guess the Saints picked the lesser of the two evils and decided to have Dak throw. And when you look at the one interception Dak had was on the Hail Mary at the end. Mm. So we can get rid of the one interception. 22 for 33 yards wasn't that bad. And definitely they were placed in a position they could have won this game if they got a play to if they got a play to Cobb a bit sooner and got closer to field goal range. Uh, yeah. Also, you know, the Cowboys did kind of beat themselves. You know, you got to point out Jason Witten fumbling. You know, that would have put us at like the Saints 50-yard line, I think before halftime that was um and then you know you look at Randall Cobb late in the game not making the clutch play on third and two just dropping the ball when it right went right straight through his hands um so you definitely got to look at the Cowboys did sort of beat themselves in a way so they're definitely and when you look at the one Zeke fumble on I want to say fourth and one when I look at it I don't see a fumble but it doesn't matter what I think it's what the refs think it's plays like that where regardless it's a fumble the Cowboys did, in fact, beat themselves in a way. This was a winnable game for the Cowboys. With the right opportunities and you make the right plays at the right time, this is a winnable game. Another play where Dak had Cobb wide open in the back of the end zone, just missed a second late on that throw or a second early. Just with the right – with a few plays going right, this game looks very differently, I think. And while credit to the Saints for winning, this game could have easily not gone in their favor. So now let's switch into our last topic before we do game picks. Is Patrick Mahomes MVP already? Right now, if we look at it, Patrick Mahomes has a 67.9 completion percentage, over 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns, and no picks, with a 120.4 QBR. This is the best in the NFL. This is the best right now in the NFL through four weeks only. But I have a hard time seeing someone else take MVP from him. It would have to be someone like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers to have a stellar season through these next 12 weeks. But I just can't see – I see Mahomes repeating. I think it's already in conversation, and I think it's going to take someone spectacular to beat Mahomes out for MVP. Yeah, um, I can definitely see him repeating, but um, just want to you know, disagree. I mean, I do see – if anyone else were to beat him, Tom Brady, uh, most definitely with the season he's having. But also, like I said before, um, a sleeper is definitely Lamar Jackson, especially if he uh, mm. keeps playing the way he's playing throughout the season and advances him his team through the playoffs. I definitely could see, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson coming on as a pick for MVP. I can agree with you with that. I think definitely not a lot of people are looking at not just the way he's playing this season, but the development mm -hmm. he went through. Because with last season, a lot of talk about him being, oh, he's a running back, or he's not going to last, his body's not going to last. He's made some spectacular throws this yeah. season. And definitely with the amount of points the Ravens put up, offensively, 
they're a running team, but yet he could still give that it factor. He mm-hmm. does something different every game, and he does something that's like he had another close game against the Chiefs. The Chiefs have had some high level competition, and while mm-hmm. they've won those games, they there's always been teams that have been able to compete with them or hang on. Yeah, understand. While Lamar Jackson, he had a loss, a heavy loss to the Browns. <coughs> I still think that they'll see the Browns. They'll see the Browns again for sure. Yeah. So they're divisional opponents. They'll see them for sure. So I think that game goes differently. I still believe in Lamar Jackson. I think he could he could very well be MVP if he competes at a high level these next twelve weeks. And if there's any slip. Or I feel like a big en- a big enough slip that gives Lamar some more leverage. Mm-hmm. Definitely, if they if Lamar Jackson can get his team a bye week over Kansas City, I think that definitely puts him in the MVP talk. Definitely. All right, those were the three points. Now, guys, let's get to the picks. Who do we got for Ram Seahawks? I'm definitely taking. I'm going to take Seattle in this one. I think the Rams defense. I think they got exposed last week. I think definitely with the talent that the Seahawks can have offensively with Russell Wilson, I'm going to take Seahawks. Um, Yeah, I think I, I'll agree. I'll take the Seahawks. It's going to be a close game, in my opinion, when it's a Thursday night. Jaguars, Panthers, who do you got? Um, I'll take the Panthers in that one just because Christian McCaffrey – um, at running back, I def- although Leonard Fournette did have an uh, amazing game last week, I'll take the Panthers in this one. I think I'm going to take the Panthers too. I like them against the Jaguars. I think that they've been playing well this season. We don't know if Ramsey's going to play right now. But I think that I think the Panthers will be able to hang with the Jaguars, especially the Panthers defensively. Gardner Minshew, I don't think he'll be ready. And it's a home game for the Panthers as well. So I'm going to take the Panthers in this one. Unanimous Seahawks and Panthers for the first two games. Then we got Patriots, Redskins. Uh, definitely Patriots to me, no question. This is Patriots. Let's move to the next yeah. pick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Keep it simple. Um, Bills, Titans. Uh, Bills, just because of the Bills um, off the game that they had against the Patriots. Uh you know, they are 3-1. and one. The Titans are definitely seeming to have some troubles um, this year, so I'll take the Bills. I think I'm going to take – I think I'm going to take the Titans. I'm going to disagree with you mm. on this one. I'm going to take the Titans this week. We don't know the state of Kyle Allen, and I trust the Titans' defense. I think they'll be able to stop. I think they'll be able to stop the Bills. Kenny with the Titans, Will with the Bills. Now Ravens-Steelers. Um, I'll take the Ravens in this one. Uh, definitely since, you know, coming off of the loss to the Browns, I feel like they're definitely going to kind of have a chip on their shoulder. Um, and the Steelers just aren't having a it season this year with uh, Ben Roethlisberger being out. So I'll definitely take the Ravens in this one. I think definitely the Mason Rudolph factor takes over for the Steelers. I don't think that this will be – I don't think this one's going to be – I wouldn't say it's not going to be close, but I think it'll be – I think the Ravens win by two scores. I see the Ravens' defense putting a lot of pressure on Mason Rudolph. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Cardinals-Bengals. With this week, I think I see Kyler Murray getting his first NFL win. I understand that they're 0-3-1 right now, but I don't think I don't think the Bengals hang on for this one. I think they've been struggling. I think while the Cardinals have been struggling as well, I think they've just played some really good teams. They've played the Ravens. They've played the Lions. They've been in some very close games for the most part. So I'll give I'll give the Cardinals a win. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Cardinals here as well. Um, as long as the Cardinals' offensive line can hold up and not let the Bengals' defense put, any, put too much pressure on uh, Kyler Murray, I definitely think the Cardinals will come out with the win. They say great minds think alike. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to Falcons-Texans. Um, mm, this is a tough one to me. I'll take the Texans just because just because I really have no reason behind it. I'll just take the Texans on this one. I'll take the Texans. I think that with Keanu Neal being gone, the Falcons are going to have a tough time. They have, the Texans have Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins. They're going to have a hard time on defense. I think 
it, the, I think the Falcons will get pressure on Deshaun Watson, as many teams have. But I don't think it'll be enough. Moving on to this NFC South matchup, Bucks saints I think I'll take the Saints in this one. Uh, I think that this is a divisional matchup. These teams know each other very well. I think it'll be a close game, as most divisional matchups are, but I just look at the fact that the Saints are at home. I think that if this was in Tampa, this game would look a little bit different. I would give the Buccaneers a slight edge, especially coming off how their defense has been firing lately with only a missed field goal, keeping them from winning two straight. This team could easily go from, what, two other win, one other win, it'll be three and one as well. Mm -hmm. So I definitely would say I'll give the Saints a slight edge. Yeah, I'll definitely go with the Saints here. Um, Definitely going to be a close one, though. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead and go with the Saints here. Now, Vikings, Giants. Um, I'll take the Vikings here, no question. Um, Daniel Jones, I really don't think he's going to get the job done in this one against that defense, like I talked about earlier. Uh, the Giants don't have Saquon Barkley, but they do get gold, Golden Tate back for this game. Um, be interesting to see what he does, but I'll definitely take the Vikings over the Giants in this game. I'll agree with you on that. I think that the Vikings can definitely get the job done. I think Thielen and Kirk Cousins will be going out to, with going out into MetLife Stadium with something to prove. Mm-hmm. And I don't see Daniel Jones performing that well. I don't think he performed well last game either mm-hmm. with one touchdown and two picks. I really feel like the defense mm-hmm. for the Giants has really been has really been what's working for them. And they played a not so a not so good Redskins team last week. I think with the Vikings being a potential wild card playoff contender, we can get a good look at what the real Giants are. Mm-hmm. Taking a trip across the pond now, Bears, Raiders. I'm definitely going to say the Bears. I think that the I think the Raiders have been dysfunctional. I don't think they've really they've had a, they had a close game with the with the Colts last week. I just don't see I don't see the Raiders getting past that defense. I can't get over mm-hmm. the defensive factor. If they can get pressure on. Chase Daniel and maybe disrupt the receivers at the line, then maybe the Raiders can get this win. But at 2-2 two and two right now, I don't see them getting past the Bears. Yeah, I'd definitely go with the Bears here um, just simply because of that defense. It's insane. So, um, And also the Raiders, just looking at them offensively, I just don't have any faith in their offense right now. So I'd definitely go Bears here. Taking a plane back to Philly, Jets-Eagles. I'm going to go Eagles here um, just because looking at the Jets, they might have Sam Darnold back. It's a possibility. He hasn't been ruled out yet this week. Yeah, so they might have Sam Darnold back. That's really their only plus. Uh, Le'Veon Bell hasn't really – he's been – he's had a good season, but nothing like his seasons back in Pittsburgh. Um, so I do think that the Eagles are going to come in and win this one. I think if the Eagles receivers – can help them out this game. They'll be playing a good secondary with Jamal Adams back there. Mm-hmm. I think that if Zach Ertz, Nelson Aguilar, Alshon Jeffrey, I think if they can go out there and keep good hands on the ball, these are good receivers. These are NFL wide receivers. I don't think it'll be a problem for them. I don't think it should be a problem. I'll say that. But I'll take the Eagles in this one. Afternoon game in sunny LA, Broncos, Chargers. Uh, I'll definitely take the Broncos on this one. Um, the no, excuse me. Whoa, <laughs> I'm keeping that in. <laughs> Whoa, I'll definitely take the Chargers on this one. Um, especially because they could uh get Melvin Gordon some reps, and then also just look at the season Keenan Allen is having so far. And not to mention the Chargers defense is you know pretty good. It's had some ups and downs this season, but um, just looking at the Broncos, I don't think they have any chance yeah i'll definitely go chargers on this one i'll definitely take the chargers on this one i think with melvin melvin gordon being back and austin eckler back there in the backfield especially with bradley chubb being done for the season it's going to be it's not going to be the same broncos pass rush i think that the chargers find a way to get this one done surely after that packers take on the cowboys this is a tough one. We have some good teams, pack, both coming off losses, but, of course, undefeated for some time. The Packers' defense, I think, was surely exposed last week by the Eagles, and the Cowboys coming off a tough loss in New Orleans. 
I'm going to edge the Cowboys out in this one. I think the Cowboys can finally beat the Packers. I think that, and not to slight at Will, but I think that I think the Cowboys can definitely win this game. I think if they if Zeke gets off gets to the ground running literally, I think he'll be I think they give time for Dak to throw and may, as long as they make smart decisions. I think smart decisions win this one for the Cowboys. Yeah, I'm going to definitely go. Well, you know I'm going to go to Cowboys. Um, but, yeah, definitely uh, we do have our left tackle, Tyron Smith, is ruled out. Um, but our receiver, Michael Gallup, is a possibility. Uh, so in terms of if we can just get to going on offense, um, I definitely think that uh, the Cowboys will win this one. Um, but don't count the Packers out. It'll be a tough one. Maybe I think the Cowboys only by three, maybe a field goal last second or something. Final game on Sunday night. Colts Chiefs. Who um definitely gonna go ahead and take the Chiefs here. Uh going two five and oh just because Chiefs, like I said, off explosive offense. Um Patrick Mahomes looking like he could be a repeat MVP. Uh so definitely gonna go ahead and take the Chiefs. But it's I'm not saying it'll be a close one. It's gonna be a good game because the Colts still do have some talent on their roster. I'm going to say the Chiefs, too. They'll be in Arrowhead, one of the loudest stadiums in NFL. I don't think Jacoby Brissett will be able to handle it. We don't know the status of T.Y. Hilton's health. I don't think he'll be 100%. He may play. But I see in this primetime game the Chiefs winning. Definitely. Also, just to throw in Tyreek Hill was limited in practice today, so he could possibly, possibly be cleared. Definitely hope to see him out on the field. Now, moving on to our final game of the week, Monday night, Browns 49ers. I'm going to take the Browns in an upset. I'm going to take the Browns in an upset. I think Baker Mayfield has more to prove. I think that he's going to go out there and try and show the league in a primetime game, too. They played their last Monday night game against the Jets and played very well. It'll be an away game in Levi Stadium. I think that it's going to be tough, but I think the Browns can win this. Uh, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to go 49ers. Um, If Jimmy Garoppolo can make his reads and get the offense firing on all cylinders, and then if that defense can come out and do what it did in the first game of this season, I definitely think that the 49ers have a great chance of winning this one. So I'm going to go 49ers. All right, and that, my friends, was Three Point Stance with Kenny Good and William Jones. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir.